Well, good morning, everyone. God's grace and God's mercy and peace be to each and every one of you through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for this morning is the last verse from our gospel reading from Mark chapter 4, verse 41, where I read one more time. And they were filled, the disciples were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is God's word, brothers and sisters in Christ. I was talking with some folks earlier this morning, uh, just we're reminiscing about some history. Uh, I was actually at down at First Emmanuel Lutheran Church in downtown San Jose when Pastor Gibson was here some <clears throat> years ago. Uh, and uh, <laughs> good memories, good memories of our pastorates together. Um, uh, when I was there doing one of our new member classes, I had, uh, I guess what I've come to know since then as the great pastoral idea, right? The great pastoral idea I had was that we were going to have the new members, we we're going to start a library at the church. It'd be a lending library and, and folks would be able to come in and, and, uh, and you know, Check these out. There were devotions. Uh, there were commentaries, things like that. People would contribute to it. And, uh, and the, the new class that was coming in, I asked them to bring in a copy of their favorite devotion or, or reading material that, of the faith that, that got them started and, and, and they felt would be the best thing to share with those around them. Well, the sharing and the bringing in of the copies of stuff started, but of course, you know, with nobody to tend the library and, you know, wanting to stick around and check books out and check them in and things like that is sort of fizzled. That's why I call it the great pastoral idea. I just like those, you know, those that we get every once in a while that just don't pan out. But one of the books that came in from one of the new members really fascinated me. It was a very tiny book. It was by a, a, a rector in the Anglican church called J.B. Phillips. The name of the book was your God is too small. And the, the, the title fascinated me because it's kind of like, what? And, of course, the size. And so I talked to her about it, and she said, you know, this is one of the books that really helped me understand and come to the faith and expanded my faith, but it expanded my way of looking at God. And so I thought, boy, I've got to look at this thing. Small book, quick read. Well, it is fascinating. Because the premise of the whole book is that a lot of times what we do is we tend to look at God in terms of, uh, of our own framework of life, you know. We look at God as, for instance, a fireman. That, you know, when there are fires, he puts out the fires for us or teaches us how to do that. Or he's a doctor, you know, when we need therapeutic uh, work, uh, we need to be healed. He's the healer, which of course he is. But as I went through each one of the chapters, it was the exclusivity that was the issue. That God was exclusively a doctor, healing. Exclusively, or majority, that he was, well, frankly, like, like, a, like a drug to take care of what ails you. And the problem was that every time that... Uh, Every time you make him out to be doctor or fireman or even policeman, you pigeonhole him. And you make him smaller than he actually is. But the other thing, too, is that 
when you don't need them, you just leave them on the shelf. You say to God, oh, don't, you know, don't bother me. I'll, I'll call you when I need you. Well, this morning's reading, of course, is uh, uh, the disciples did need Jesus. They didn't know he were, they would need him when they set out on their journey across the sea, you know, across the Sea of Galilee. They're, they're, uh, they were just supposed to go from point A to point B. Simple journey, no problems. And then uh, God had other ideas. So there they found themselves in the midst of their journey, a regular journey that all of a sudden turned extremely dangerous. They were about ready to sink. Water coming in, you know, the boat was filling up. And what? where's God? Well, I guess you might say he's on the shelf. Or in this case, in the back of the boat with a nice soft cushion sleeping away. They would have none of it because he was supposed to be the one, their captain. Oh, my captain, what are you doing? You know, what are you doing asleep? Don't you care that we are perishing? Boy, I haven't heard, <laughs> I haven't heard God talk to like that since David. Don't you care that, you know, what's going on? Psalm after psalm. Don't you care that everybody's after me? That I'm Elijah too. Here they are seeking to take my life. Lord, just take it first. You know, we, uh, we just finished, of course, technically, our lockdown this last week. The pandemic. That is something that has swamped our boats for about a year and a half. And as I said, it's been a year and a half since I've had the blessing of being able to be in a church sharing God's Word with people. And I must confess myself, I was mad at God. I was mad because I couldn't do the thing that He called me to do. As a matter of fact, He and I, you know, I sometimes let Him sleep in the end of the boat which I should not do. It's not the first journey that any of us have taken where we have run into storms. But our tendency is to go the therapeutic route, or, well, actually, you know, I, I'm going to say I've, I've been rather a rugged individualist myself. Um, I tend to go ahead and, you know, put on my gloves, you know, kind of put my shoulder into it and just power through. Oh, not this time. This time, none of us could just power through. We can be in denial about it. Sure, you know, this is, uh, there's mourning about this too. We can, uh, we can say, well, this is just God's will. We just got to do the Eeyore. Oh, well, you know, we're just going to grin and bear it. And blah, blah, blah. But I want to contrast that this morning. Contrast. And, and, to some degree, compare it to what the disciples went through and how Jesus was with them. Because really, you know, there is a before and there is an after with the disciples. They're still in the before because they saw Jesus. They saw the raw power of God. They saw the wind and the waves saying, okay, we'll be quiet. We'll be calm. 
No one does that. No one just simply pulls that out like a rabbit out of the hat. Only God, the Creator, does things like that. But even then, even then they said, who is this guy? Who is he to do stuff like this? And by implication, what have we got ourselves into? The reality of that, too, is the only way to get to the other side is to go on through the storm. The question for you and me is, how are we going to do that? Are we just going to hunker down, plow through, ignore everything else? Even the person that's sleeping in the stern of our boat. And especially the one that's in the stern of our boat. Are we going to ignore that person? Are we going to get mad at that person after they take care of things because we wanted to do it? (laughs) That's the contrast. There's a before, there will be an after for the disciples. You and I are really on the other side of that storm in one respect. We know who Jesus is. The question becomes is, what do we do with this Jesus? You know, difficult times often leave us no choice. And if you want to follow your message notes here, that's, uh, that's where we start. Because difficult times do often leave us no choice. The best way still is to follow His and walk to His voice. So, with this Jesus in mind, with, with trying to figure out each day what's going on. How does the way he contrasts, what, how does Jesus' contrast give us what we need then to move? And I would say move in the right direction, to go, to journey forth, to get through these times. Well, I, I look at it in three different directions, three different words I use. One of them is cross. The other one is care. And the last one is calm. Cross and care and calm. I start with cross. I could say, well, I guess I was prompted by, you know, he wanted to cross over to the other side of the ocean, or the Sea of Galilee. Sorry. And that's what we want to do. We want to cross over to the other side. We want to get to where we're going. But in this case, the cross is another kind of cross. It's Jesus' cross. And the reason why we've got to look at Jesus' cross is because for Him, in Him, there is hope in His identity. We have hope in His identity. You know, I had a, the first pastor I was ever involved with going back to seminary is a fieldwork pastor, and uh, he was a rather confident fellow, uh, let's just say, and uh, he... Uh, kind of looked at us as, uh, you know, the, the unknowledgeable novices, which we were, you know. And he preached this, <laughs> this sermon one Sunday on this very text. And he said, I don't know why the disciples were so worried, you know, when, even when the storm was threatening their lives, you know. He said, you know why? There wasn't a cross for miles. 
Jesus would not have perished, nor would they. Because the end of His journey, the cross over to His other side, would be the cross of Calvary. <laughs> I thought that was a little arrogant, you know, at the time. Uh, uh, a little, little simplistic. Um, but when I thought about it more, it's true. Jesus' journey ended in the cross. And because His journey ended in the cross, you know, even, even the storms that we have in our lives, even our storms can't delay His arrival. Because He has finished His journey. He's completed His race. It was for you and for me. So we have that power, that, that, that message, that good news. And it's like Eugene Peterson put in his paraphrase, the message. He, in 1 Corinthians 1.18, he said the message that points to Christ on the cross, it seems like sheer silliness to those hell-bent on destruction. But to those on the way to salvation, it makes perfect sense. This is the way God works, and most powerfully as it turns out. It is written, I'll turn conventional wisdom on its head. I'll expose so-called experts as shams. The cross is foolishness on one level. How can a cross do all that? But His cross has now blessed every other cross that you and I are probably going to bear throughout our lives. And we're going to bear them. They're going to come up. Our challenges, whether it is health, whether it is finances, whether it is family, other conflicts, other storms. His cross is going to empower the healing that takes place in those, the, the completion of our journey on the other side to Him. Secondly, as far as care is concerned, well, there's a lot more. There's nuance in His complexity. There's nuance in His complexity of how He cares for you and for me. You know, it's... <laughs> when we have a storm response, we've got a couple of different choices. We can ignore it or we can simplify it. Yeah, you know... We can ignore it to our own peril, right? Or we can simplify it. Eh, it's just an iceberg. No problem. But simplifying things is what we do when we're in an anxious situation. To simplify it, to make things black and white, easier to handle, you know. But black and white then can turn into false, what, what's called false comparatives, or we, we know it as apples and oranges. And all of a sudden, our comparisons fall short because, again, Jesus is not involved and we don't let Him take care of us in the way He has promised. Or we don't recognize that He's caring for us and like with the disciples, we'll come at Him and say, what's wrong with you? When all the time He knows what's wrong with us. And he already is bringing his blessing. You know, if we don't think we're cured, maybe Jesus has something else in mind. You know, that's 
that's the blessing of his, you know, even, even our tiny, the way tiny thinking we have, the tiny we have, well, that can't stop his grand. God has other ideas in mind. Jesus has another plan for you. Some years ago, um, after I, before I was at, at uh, First Emmanuel, um, well, I, uh, I suffered in the family a divorce. And I had no idea at a certain point what God had in mind because in, in, his, uh, in his wisdom, the district president said, you know, why don't you take a year off and think about it, regroup, get yourself back in order. I took that year off, and boy, that was one stormy year. But at the end of that year, I was able to honestly say to God, okay, God, I don't know whether you want me in or out. Still to be a pastor or not to be a pastor. But whatever way you decide, because you know better than I do, you go ahead and make the call. And I'm good with it. That was a fork in the road that was very difficult to stand. And it was very difficult to wait required a lot of patience and a lot of trust in God. In the end, the answer was, come back in, but let's come at this a little differently. He had bigger ideas for me than even I had. It's like Jesus said to his disciples too, after this point in the boat and the storm and calming the sea and the wind, he said, you know, you still don't understand it. He says in John, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. This was hours away from the cross. This was washing the feet of the disciples. They didn't know what he was doing. They didn't realize he was blessing them. But through his blessing of that, they learned a hard lesson. They came out the better for it. And then they became, went on to become a blessing to others because of his care. Lastly, lastly is calm. And I saved that for the last, not just because it's simply the end of, our, uh, of this section, this reading, when Jesus calmed the storm. The disciples didn't have calm yet because they're kind of like going, ah, they're, you know, who is this guy? But it was Jesus' love and his maintenance of himself, his own self-identity that was true to himself. There's love in his veracity. There's love in his veracity. He's going to be true to you, but he's also going to speak the truth to you. And this brings us to the times in which we live. And I've got to say, the rest of this, even our hate can't cancel His grace. Even our hate can't cancel His grace. You know, honestly, <laughs> our biggest problem these days is fear. 
Well, actually, that's not exactly true. It's not just fear. It's the fruits of fear. Fear leads to anger because we're frustrated. It also then leads to hate. That's the sinful fruit of fear that, that, that is un, not dealt with, that, that has no place to go, that has no answer. Fear that's, well, the, the Greek word for fear is angizo, and angizo means that somebody's got their hands to your throat and you're willing to do anything to save your own life. It's the fight or flight thing. But then there's the one step past that. You don't just want to get out of there. You don't want to just fight your way out. You want to come back after whoever it was. Now, that's not what God has in mind for any of us. We have grace upon grace that God has given to us through Christ. It takes a long time for the disciples to see that grace in action, to watch Jesus heal, to hear Him proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. To know that even though they were sinners, God still loved them. To know that it was His peace that was one of the most important blessings of grace that, he would, that they would be given, that you and I would be given. Because you see, we're not going to leave this problem area. We're not going to leave these storms. Uh, you know, peace is, it's not the absence of conflict. Ooh, no, no, no. Peace is the presence of wholeness. And that's what Christ came to give to you and to me. A wholeness, a peace that we can't even understand. A wholeness that we can't understand. Um, in Hebrew, it's the word shalom. It's the, it's the wholeness, it's the perfection, it's the completion, it's the love. It's the care. See, that's what Jesus came to give. They're busy saying, I don't know about this raw power that we just saw, but they don't realize that empowered a love that was so deep, so complete, that it's always there for you and for me, regardless before we make our confession, not because we make our confession, but because God calls us His children. Even before we know Him. You know, my, uh, my son Tom, my youngest, who's now 35, I guess, <laughs> when he was uh, in Sunday school, um, they were doing, you know, Jesus Calms the Storm, and he made this drawing um, that I hung on to because uh, I thought, boy, this is kind of an understanding that, that's really cool. You probably can't make heads or tails from it from there. And I'll have it on display out there. It's, it's, a, it's a big black... <laughs> you know, he took every crayon in the, in the, that he had available to him and they, you know, it turned black and yucky and everything else. But scratched under the black that's in blue is a little outline of a boat. 
Here's the boat, the sail. And there's a prominent little figure that if you look real close, and I focused on that. But then I noticed this one in the back of the boat, lifting his hands to the, to the heavens. Obviously, pre-clearing of the storm, right? <laughs> That's what we need to remember in our lives, brothers and sisters in Christ, that, that yeah, our lives are going to look like that for a long time, it is the calm, it is the storm before the calm in this case. <laughs> when Jesus has the contrast, when we look to his cross, when we look to his care, we can live in his calm, even though it looks like that. Because we know he's there. We know that he cares and his love does endure forever. So as we make this transition, there'll be another. But just remember, hang on to that cross. Because indeed, Jesus' cross delivered his care for us that we might be calm as we journey each and every day with him. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts, your minds, in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting.